0: Well, it is good to see you here tonight. And we are going to be continuing our What We Believe series. And tonight we're talking about the devil or Satan. And looking at this, this is something, this would make a great series sometime. But we're going to see how much we can do in the time that we're given. And uh, just some very interesting and important things. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to focus on you that as interesting as uh, many of these things are, that they not become a uh, distraction for us. Uh, Satan would like to do everything he can to keep our focus off of Jesus Christ and to lead us into temptation, to lead us into sin. And we acknowledge that he has different strategies. Uh, And sometimes he hides from people and sometimes he attacks them head on. And he'll do whatever works in his craftiness, Lord God. So let each of us see his schemes and his plans that he has for us, and let us evade them taking our um, refuge in Jesus Christ and believing the truth of his promise. And we thank you that Jesus is superior and that he will defeat Satan and that the initial victory has already been won through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we thank you that you give us warning about this reality And we ask that you would speak biblical wisdom into our lives during this time. Thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Yeah, in this series, oftentimes what we've been doing is we have been, as part of this, uh, not only looking at what our doctrinal statement teaches and where it's found in Scripture, but also what other groups would this set us apart from? Are there other denominations that this would make us different from? And In some doctrines it does. Would this separate Protestants from Catholics or from other um, (laughs) religions? And with this, I realized that at least within Christianity broadly considered, uh, there's actually quite a bit of uh, agreement about the person of Satan and uh, his forces even between, let's say, us and, let's say, Roman Catholics in many ways, at least as far as doctrinal statements are concerned. I think actually a bigger difference occurs with this between, uh, sometimes even with people in the same uh, denominations, between those that are biblically conservative and liberal. And a lot of liberals or modernists, when they look at these things in Scripture about Satan or about demons, they say, well, this, this is superstition left over from an older period of time where people believe these type of things. And we're, we're beyond that now, and we don't believe in spirits and, and, uh, and demons. Whereas biblical Christians uh, would look at this and say, well, this is what Scripture presents, and this is what Jesus interacted with, and this is what he taught as well. And so there's really, in a different way, more of a difference between uh, biblical conservative Christians and liberal uh, modernist uh, Christians who uh, don't believe what Scripture says about this. I think there's also a difference between uh, some that maybe technically would say that they believe in Satan or believe in demons, but functionally, as far as just how we live our lives, as we can safely ignore those as being anything real. Uh, we, we tend to just you know, ignore these type of things, and we may say they're real, but not really live that way. That's on one side, so kind of functionally denying them. Or on the other side, some people just obsess about these things so much in some circles and some churches, and even some conservative churches where it's it's more, it, it seems that demons and Satan are more interesting to them than Jesus Christ is, and that's wrong too, and that's a very unhealthy thing as well. There's also a lot of just misconceptions in the world and also in the church. So before we get going, we're going to play a, a little bit of uh, of, uh, uh, of trivia here. These things are not actually trivial matters. They're important matters. But we're going to take a look at some of these and see if we can weed out some uh, some misconceptions. So I want you to play along. You don't have to answer me audibly, but I'd like you to make a decision on some of these and maybe if you want to, you can uh, put, put... if They're true-false questions. You can put your hand on your right knee for true and on your left knee for false. So you can, you can decide here. All right, so the first question here, true or false? When people die, they become angels, biblically speaking. Okay, so you're hearing... People are saying false. Yeah, that's a common thing that people think, that when you die, you become an angel. But we're going to see that... Uh, scripturally, the angelic realm, including demons, are a separate race of creatures that were created before humanity. So you die, your solar spirit goes to be with the Lord if you're a Christian, uh, but uh, you do not become an angel. Angels are a different thing. All right, good. There's ten of these. We'll We'll see what percentage you get. Satan currently lives in hell and rules there. What do you think? All right. So, the correct answer is false. Yeah, another misconception that right now Satan's in hell. I mean, in cartoons, uh, that's how it is. He's down there. Or we think that he rules in hell, or he's going to rule in hell. And we're going to see that is not what Scripture represents at all. He's not currently in hell. That will be his eternity, but right now he's on earth, and being very active on earth. He will be in hell one day in what Scripture describes as the lake of fire, uh, but he will not rule there. It's a place of punishment for him. All right, next one. Satan, Lucifer, and the devil are all names for the same being. That is true. So we're going to say Lucifer was more of the original name, and these are there's different ways Scripture refers to this, this same being. All right. Satan is is not a real person. Satan is only a symbol for the evil that is in all of us. You are correct. That is false. Surveys would say that many people, even many people that claim to be Christians, would say true to this. uh, But biblically, we have to say it's false. Satan has a red tail, and uh, goat legs, horns, and carries a pitchfork. And we know that that is definitely true because we've seen pictures and that's where we get our information from, from pictures and cartoons, right? No, we, Scripture never says that. I mean, if Satan wanted to appear with a red tail and a pitchfork and horns, I suppose he could. We're going to see, when it does talk about his appearance, it says that he often appears as an angel of light, appearing very beautiful and very deceptive. Okay, a few more of these. The word devil means slenderer. True, false slander is it adversary which one is it that one's true that's what devil means. Satan means adversary devil means slanderer or accuser. Right, a few more of these uh Satan is eternal and equal with God. they're equal opposing forces throughout eternity, locked in battle, yin and yang to get uh, no okay, false you were correct on that yeah you we're very mistaken if you start thinking that Satan is like this equal and opposite. Uh, he's not eternal. I mean, he will exist eternally, but not eternal in the sense like without a beginning. Only God is without a beginning. So Satan is not, and he's definitely not equal with God. He loses in a fight every time. Okay? Because all power... Satan is very powerful. Okay? Very, very power, More powerful than us. And we would all be foolish to go against Satan alone. Okay? So probably the most powerful being um, uh, created, but the most powerful created being, compared to all-powerful, is st- still next to nothing. All right. Lucifer was created by God. And that is, that is true. kind goes I kind of gave that away with what I was saying before. So yeah, Lucifer was created by God. He was not eternal. Uh, Satan is ability to know the future think biblically? Do you know this biblically? say false. I mean, he may be able to guess some things. He studied human nature for thousands of years, but he doesn't know the future. I mean, Isaiah is very clear that God only knows the future. That's one of the tests of the prophets. If Satan knew the future, then the false prophets could be predicting the future accurately too. Uh, But quality of God, only he is timeless and knows the future. And I would say also, too, if Lucifer knew the future, uh, he would have known that it would have been very foolish for him to attempt what he tried to attempt. Okay? Because it did not turn out the way that I think he thought it was going to turn out. Last one, Satan and his followers will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that is true. So let's take a look at this. We're going to look at, we'll be looking at a lot of scripture, but we're going to well, But we are going to start first looking at our doctrinal statement, Article 6, a nice summary about this. So whether you're following along in the uh, workbook or listening or looking to the screen, let me read this. Article 6, The Devil or Satan? We believe that Satan once was holy and enjoyed heavenly honors, but through pride and ambition... ...to be as the Almighty, fell and drew after him a host of angels, that he is now the malignant prince of the power of the air, and the unholy God of this world. We hold him to be man's great tempter, the enemy of God in his Christ, the accuser of the saints, the author of all false religions, the chief power behind the present apostasy, the Lord of the Antichrist, and the author of all powers of darkness... Destined, however, to final defeat at the hands of God's Son and judgment of an eternal justice in hell, a place prepared for him and his angels. All right, let's unpack that. We'll look at this, see if it's scriptural, try to explain some of these things, what they mean and why they are important. And as I was looking at this statement, I realized we could divide this into past, present, and future. What is Satan's past or his origin? What is uh, the present situation? And then very importantly, what is his destiny? What does scripture say about how this is going to end for him? Okay, so first we will summarize this by saying past Satan's origin, that Lucifer was created by God as a holy angel, but fell because of his pride. And then on the screen, I'm just putting the section from the doctrinal statement, so it's easier to connect that, and as we walk through this. So first of all, it says uh, that Satan was created by God. So again, he is not an eternal being. Only God is eternal. There's absolutely nothing at all that is eternal besides God. He alone is from the beginning. And in a little bit, we're going to read from Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, And in that, verse 13, it's going to talk about him being created as well. We see that he was uh, once a a holy angel. And it's going to mention that in the verses that we talk about as well. And that when he was created, he was created as a holy angel. Uh, He was created good. God does not create evil. Now, God, in his plan, he knew what was going to happen. He ordained a world in which he knew... uh, that Satan was going to fall, that mankind was going to fall, these things did not catch him by surprise, but God does not create evil as evil. He created Satan when Satan was originally created he was a he was a good being, and we 're going to see that he fell now the Bible doesn 't exactly explain to us exactly how that could happen it 's going to uh, shed some some things in uh, some light on this that it was through uh, Satan's pride and his desires getting out of control that this happened. But we think, how does a holy and upright being fall? Um, we have to realize that he was, he was, he was good, uh, but not perfect in the sense that God is perfect, where God is unable to sin. That Lucifer, he was, he was upright, but he was able to allow his pride and these wrong desires to get the best of him. And all of these things that happened afterwards... That he became who he became, twisted in evil, and became the one that tempted our first parents into sin, as well. But originally, we have to believe he was a he was a good angel. The Bible speaks of a multitude of angels. There's probably billions upon billions of these uh, angelic beings that were created um, before humanity. Whether you can fit that into uh, Genesis one or if figure if Genesis 1 refers to this creation of this heaven and and earth, and maybe heaven refers to the the sky and the universe, um, or it's a little bit unknown there, but uh, Satan seems to be the angelic beings created, uh, I think possibly before all of that, because it's not really mentioned in Genesis 1. But as we said before, angels, they're not dead people. You do not die and become an angel. They're an independent race of spiritual beings. They exist in the spirit realm. They do not have physical bodies. Although they can appear to us, they can uh, take some, some form, but not as uh, actual permanent physical physical beings. We see this. We mentioned in here that we call him uh, Lucifer. And we are going to... Um, we'll mention that in a little bit. That comes from Isaiah 14, 12 where it refers to uh, Lucifer. And it's going to say there, um, how you are fallen from heaven. Now, in the ESV, it says, O day star, son of the dawn. Now, if you have a King James, it'll say Lucifer, and then uh, son of the dawn, something like that. Um, I believe the uh, NIV says morning star. NASB says... uh, uh, I think star of the morning. And the name Lucifer has this idea of of shining one or burning one. And the reason why sometimes it gets translated day star or morning star is because uh, at night or and in the morning, when you look up and you see there's just one uh, star in the sky, you realize it's probably not a star. It's probably the planet Venus. And the planet Venus was known as the, the morning star or the day star and it was also referred to as, as Lucifer, the shining one, because it was, it was bright. And so it kind of shared uh, that name. So that's where that comes from. And that's why sometimes it gets, Lucifer gets translated as, uh, uh, as a day star or morning star or um, burning one. In some li- languages, matches are referred to as Lucifers because uh, they're, they're, they're burning ones. So, but this is his title, Before He Fell. Okay, so he was, he was brilliant. He was created as this, this, this beautiful, wonderful being, uh, probably the highest of all the God's angelic hosts, uh, to lead them and to be given the uh, responsibility. Um, there's indications that he was to, to funnel praise to God. But let's look a little bit and see what happened here. There's two passages we can look at, and they are in your um, in your notes, if you have uh, those with you, page 14. But we're going to let's look at Ezekiel 28 first. The two big passages there's Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Sometimes I remember them just because 28 is 14 plus 14. It's twice as much. That makes it easy to remember. That's there's no rhyme or reason for that. I just remember it that way. So Ezekiel 28. Now one thing you'll have to notice is that, and I want to mention this so it doesn't throw you off sometime, uh, or think that we're hiding something from you, in both of these passages there's a dual reference. This is a prophecy that both refers to an earthly king, but Christians throughout the centuries have historically looked at this and said there's more to this than what could be literally true about an earthly king. And they've seen this as a reference to Satan and his fall, and that this earthly king is being compared uh, to what happened with, with Lucifer and his fall. So, for example, Ezekiel uh, 28, and in your notes it starts from uh, verse four, from verse uh, 11, but I'll start reading from verse, in uh, your notes it starts, it starts at 14, I'll start from 11, just to give a little bit of context. Ezekiel 28, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created and they were prepared. So originally it's a very beautiful uh, setting. You were an anointed guardian cherub. And that's where this obviously can't be literally applied to the king of Tyre. It might be talking about that he has a very uh, high position, but he's not actually a cherub. A cherub was a, a type of a classification of angelic beings and if we were doing a whole series on an angelology, it would be interesting to, to dig into this and talk about it. But it seems to me that, that Lucifer was a, a cherub. It says, I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So you see there this original state that Lucifer is good and existed in paradise. Uh, But here it says he became proud. And says because of his beauty, he recognized just how wonderful, you know, he he was. Uh, But instead of focusing on God, focused on himself, and therefore he was cast down. Now let's also read Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And this is a double reference to the king of Babylon, uh, but also we see this reference to the fall of Satan, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star. That's where in the King James it says, Lucifer, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. In the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol. It's the Hebrew word for, uh, for, for the underworld, for hell, for Hades. To the far reaches of the, the pit. Now, here you see, again, you see what was going on in Lucifer's heart. That his pride was taken over. And he keeps referring to, it says, I will, I will, I will. He wasn't content to be in this position that he had. That even of all the created beings, he was the highest. But that wasn't good enough for him. That he wanted to keep ascending higher and higher. Because he recognized that even though there was billions beneath him, as far as glory and honor, there was still God that was above him. And instead of focusing on being thankful for just this privilege that he had, he, he wanted to go that step further beyond the bounds that he was allowed to be given and to be like God. I think here we can see you know, some of the application. I mean, from what happened to Satan here, uh, just how deadly pride is. Now, I don't mean pride in the sense you're, you're, uh, you're proud of your school or you're proud of your homework. There's some sense where that a certain sense can be okay, but when it becomes misplaced, when we, th- we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, when we become self-focused, when we start to say, I will, I will ascend, I will ascend, and especially when we say, I will be like the most high. Remember, Satan used the same temptation against Adam and Eve trying to say to them, you know, God is holding back this, uh, this fruit from you, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like him, knowing good and evil. And they looked at it and they said, we, we want to be like God. We, we want that. And so whenever we want to try and take the prerogatives and the view that only God can have, and there are certain things that are up to, that are up to God and not us. When we forget our place, we are being like Satan. And we pride is such a subtle thing. It's such a a dominant thing, too. And we always need to be watching out for that. So in this beginning part, we saw Satan. He fell through pride. He wanted to be like God. He rebelled, but his rebellion failed. I mean, he must have thought highly of himself enough that if he gathered enough of the other angelic forces with him that he thought he had an opportunity for a a coup here that he could take over. He could uh, take over the the, the government of heaven. That's where we know that he definitely does not know the future because this did not go the way that it was. And he was cast down from heaven and cast down uh, to the earth. Now, if you look at Job chapter 1, It does talk there about him having uh, uh, possibly some sort of access to maybe at least some parts of heaven because he comes and he appears uh, with God. He's able to get an audience. uh, But that's not naturally where he exists anymore. If he's able to come to part of heaven, we don't know exactly how that works. uh, And it must be with special permission. uh, But that's not where he is anymore. He's, He's cast down to the to the depths. And Isaiah said brought down the Sheol, but that doesn't mean he's is in hell. Sheol can mean just the, the, the lower places. It's a very broad term. But what we see more consistently is that he's on earth. That in Job, it talks about him being on uh, earth. Go- and we're going to see later on, it talks about him being a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if he was just down in, in hell or somewhere else or confinement, we wouldn't have as much to worry about. But He exists on earth, and He exists as our our enemy. So we also see, as part of this statement, that uh, there were other angels that joined with Him. It says He drew after Him a host of angels. Remember the word host means an army. So He had a massive army that came with Him when He tried to rebel against God. And... We notice there's other places in the Scripture, for example, for example, Matthew twenty five forty one that refer to the devil and his angels, because angels can be both good or they can be they can be evil, and the ones that were evil and rebelled, those are the ones that we call demons, or evil spirits. They're the ones that that fell. So there's the good angels referred to sometimes as, as the elect angels, and it seems that uh, for those angels, once they they chose to side with uh, God and not Satan, that they were confirmed in their, uh, in their goodness so that they will not fall. Uh, but those that fell away, they're, they're gone. I mean, they, they exist, but they have no possibility of redemption because uh, they're on earth, their time is, is short. Uh, but Jesus Christ did not come to give them a second chance. uh, Jesus Christ did not become an angel in order to save them. If he had chosen to, he would have to take on the form of an angel. He did not do that. And I think it's something also that should remind us just how much we should stand in awe of God's grace. Because Jesus Christ did not have to become a human being. He could have decided to treat us the way the angels are and say, you rebelled? You're going to get what's coming to you. That's totally fair. And who could argue? But praise God that he did this amazing, unexpected thing that God would come down and become a human being also and die on the cross for our salvation. I hope that blows you away, and if it doesn't, we need to let that sink in more and ponder that. So ponder that, we need to beware of pride. Destroy that anywhere it pops up in your heart, and grow humility instead. Okay, so that's Satan's origin, that's his his past, where he came from. Let's look at Satan's present, and the doctrinal statement has a lot of this, and we'll just hit highlights, but we will sum this up by saying that Satan's present, we'll call this Satan's rage, that Satan is now the devil, uh, the unholy enemy of Christ and his church, we already read the Doctrine of Satan. We'll put this back up here and we'll work our way through it. But now the die has been cast. Satan took his, his gamble uh, and he lost. Satan has no chance of undoing his decision. He can't get back to his original position. He has no chance of winning. So all he can try to do is do as much damage as he can in the time that he is allowed. And to rage against Christ, to rage against his saints... He still tries various things. He's tried various times in history to, to thwart God's plan of redemption, to, to kill the Messiah. He's tried to tempt Jesus Christ. He's tried to have him, him uh, killed as an infant, all of this, uh, and all these things that don't work. And now a lot of what he's doing is coming after us, coming after God's church, preventing pe- some other people from being saved and trying to do everything he can to, to kill our witness, and to um, just to devastate our lives in whichever way that he can. But we can remember this, too, that he can only do what he is allowed to do. You see that in the book of Job as well, that there's things, if he had unlimited power, he would just kill everyone before they could trust Christ. I mean, he would just make sure that happens, and then you can't trust Christ, and uh, then, he, then he has you. So the only things that he can do, he's like a dog on a leash. So, and, and God has this leash. And he has, he has freedom for God's purposes. And we may not understand why that's this, this is happening. But God has set this world that we live in a time of conflict. God is ultimately in control, but, but Satan is given freedom right now to, to rage. And I think through this, we see that God show, is going to show his victory and many of his attributes in a much brighter, more glorious way than if this wasn't allowed to happen. But we have to beware. It says at first, he says, he's now the malignant prince of the power of the air. So malignant, you think of what this word means. uh, Sometimes we know of this, this is not what you want to hear the doctor say that your tumor is. But what this word uh, means even more historically it, means, it definitely means something bad. It means to act from malice or evil intent. Uh, to be evil in nature, influence or effect. The Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary, because remember here we're talking about our doctrinal statement, which was written in English. We're not unpacking Greek words right now. Uh, one definition, to be passionately and relentlessly malevolent. And that's what Satan is. I mean, he is—he is not being gentle. He is not looking for compromise. He's doing everything he can to be against us. And the phrase, "the prince of the power of the air," that comes from the Book of Ephesians, uh, chapter two, verse two. And this is in the notes. I'll read it to you. It says, "It talks about." Well, let me look this up so I can give it to you in, in context. Starting with verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it goes on. And so it's saying before we were Christians, all of us, that we were, we were dead in sin, uh, dead in our trespasses, and we were following uh, the devil and here it refers to him as the, the prince of the power of the air so it he has a certain level of uh, power and authority and when it talks about the, the the power of the air it seems like that's a maybe a reference to the fact that evil spirits are demons that uh, you're moving through the through the atmosphere something along those lines because they exist on this world that's not down in hell they they're not uh in god's heaven anymore but they exist in this world traveling about they can only be in one place satan is not omnipresent like god is they have to travel and that's why uh it seems like they can travel very fast and this may be some reasons why they can uh you know mimic certain things i think there could be you know demons you know traveling that give information uh to to other demons. I think sometimes uh, false prophets and false uh, teachers, fortune tellers and different things sometimes might be getting some things right because they have demons telling them certain things. Maybe even about something that's happening miles away uh, because these demons are traveling and giving information. They don't know the future, but they can know the present and they can communicate these things, but they can only be in one place. That probably also means that each of us uh, probably haven 't been personally tempted by Satan, but because he probably has millions, if not billions of his his workers um, that it 's very real that we have temptation that comes uh, from his from his his demons so that 's what it means it, uh, the, He is now the malignant prince of the power of the air, the unholy God of this world <clears throat> John fourteen thirty refers to him as the ruler of this world. He is not the uh, legitimate ruler of this world. And, but this world is largely under his control right now. But when Jesus came, he contested that authority. And even some the, when he did miracles, when he cast out so, demons, he was showing that, you know what, actually I'm king here. That was a big part of what he was doing, showing his authority. And we're going to start seeing that next week uh, when we get back into the book of Luke. He's man's great tempter. Uh, he tempted uh Eve in the garden through the serpent that he he spoke through that that creature and somehow uh possessed uh the serpent he's called the tempter in first thessalonians three five in the gospels we see the temptation of Christ when he tried to tempt Jesus Christ. We did two weeks of that uh, talking about that in luke four one through thirteen, and also 1 peter five eight says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and so here is that reference again that he is he is on earth, not in hell, and that he is actively looking for those that he can that he can try to uh, destroy that he can try to maim. Like a lion will look for those that are weak that he can attack. And that's what he's looking for. And so we're supposed to beware of this. If there's a lion in here, you don't ignore the lion. I mean, imagine if there's a literal lion in the sanctuary here. So that's what Scripture's telling us to do. Realize there is this real but spiritual lion. And he is after us. It says that he is the enemy of God. Now, the name Satan, what that means literally is adversary or opposer or enemy. We said that uh, devil means slanderer, Satan means adversary. So it shows that he is that's his, he's against God, that he is the, the opposition force against him. Uh, Satan is used uh, 52 times in the scriptures, it's also the accuser of the saints. And this also ties into his, his name as the devil, which we said means slanderer. This is used 33 times. The Greek is dabolos. Sometimes we talk about something being diabolic. That comes from there, meaning it's, it's, it's devilish. So from those, both of those terms, we see that he is both the enemy of God, he's the opposer of God, and that he's a slanderer, that he's going to say things against uh, God, against believers. He's going to accuse be translated accuser and we also see that um, that is uh, something that he does let me just read to you from the book of revelation just another example of this revelation uh, 12 10 and i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and power Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And it goes on to say they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. So Satan, he does accuse. And uh, it's also a reason why he will try to accuse you to make you feel just completely unworthy of God. And, you know, he uses truth. I mean, he'll point to things, you know, sin that you have. And, you know, you and I, we've all done terrible things. And he can point to that and say, see, you're unworthy. Why even go to church? Why even call yourself a Christian? Why try to live for him at all when you have all this? That's why we have to remember that if, if Satan is like the, the prosecuting attorney who is against us, to so remember that we have an advocate, that we have an intercessor, we have a defending attorney in Jesus Christ that says, well, these things have happened, but they've been declared innocent. They've been declared righteous because I paid for that sin on the cross. It's been paid in full. And so Satan, your charges do not stand. They've been thrown out of court. the author of all false religions, the chief power behind the present apostasy. One of the references there uh, in the footnotes is Second Corinthians 11, 13-15, uh, and in there it talks about that Satan himself... Well, I'll read this. It says, "...for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ... And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So just don't think because something looks good or looks attractive that it's of God. I mean, that's one of Satan's tactics, is always to make evil look good. I mean, he tried to make the forbidden fruit look good. Every time he tempts us to sin, he's trying to make it look good. And he will even make himself look good. I mean, if he came and appeared like a, like a horrible monster, okay, with, with, with tentacles and these, you know, and uh, just you know, horns and the way that he's depicted, probably you would say, I don't think I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to run. But he's going to come as something that looks beautiful. Something that we say, well, how could something so beautiful be bad? as an angel of light. We need to be aware of that. And I think sometimes literally he has appeared as an angel of light and and literally started false religions. I mean, the angel, supposedly the angel Gabriel, I don't think it really was the angel Gabriel, but supposedly appeared to Muhammad around the year 600 AD, giving him his first vision. Another angel named Moroni in 1823 supposedly appeared to Joseph Smith, the founder of the, the cult of Mormonism. Now I think for some of these it may have been an angel that appeared, but it was not a good and holy angel. And think of all the just millions, if not billions that have been deceived by some of these false religions. And he will appear in whatever way he needs in order to deceive us. It goes on, he's the Lord of the Antichrist, and the authority of all powers in darkness. We need to be aware of his schemes. Oh, I should have brought this one up. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. Finally, and we'll just say this briefly, his future. And this is what we need to look to. We need to believe this. This needs to give us hope in the victory that we have. Satan's destiny, Satan and his demons, will be defeated by Jesus Christ and condemned to eternal, to suffer eternal torment in the lake of fire. In the doctrinal statements it reads that he is destined, however, to final defeat at the hands of God's Son and judgment of an eternal justice in hell, a place prepared for him and his angels. Let me read from Scripture. Revelation 19, and these are listed in the workbook. Then I saw, this is about the return of Christ, when this happens. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Goes on, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the beast was captured with the false prophet, who is in its presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and who worshipped this image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Let's skip ahead to Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3. And it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Holding his hands, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized that dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. Okay, so if you're just, you want a clarification that the devil and the Satan are the same person and they're the same as the serpent that tempted Eve, uh, it makes it really clear for us, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that it might not deceive the, he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. So in the future, um, after the end times uh, period, Satan is, is bound and he is put in the abyss. Uh, this, still, this is not the eternal place where he's going to be. So this is a temporary prison where he's put for 1,000 years uh, during the time where Christ literally rules for 1,000 years on earth. After that, he's released for one, from one last attempt. Verse 7, And when the 1,000 years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sands of the sea, and they marched up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. One last try. Maybe this time. Maybe this time it'll work. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so that's the final place. When we talk about hell, our word hell is actually used sometimes uh, generically of a lot of different places. But the the final place that might be called hell is this lake of fire where I I think actually no one is right now because it's after the great white throne judgment that that the unsaved are judged and they're sent uh, to the lake of fire to be with uh, Satan whom they followed. Uh, For eternity. And it's described as a lake of fire. Not where you want to spend eternity. This is a place of conscious, eternal torment forever and ever and ever. And in Matthew 25 41, Jesus said that there will come a time when he will say to some, There will be a judgment. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is sad. This is a horrifying, terrifying thing. To think that every person that exists, every person in this room, we have one or two destinies. That at the end, we spend eternity with God. uh, In heaven and then eventually on the new earth with Jesus Christ. Or eventually every person spends eternity in a place described as a lake of fire Forever. It's why it's important for us to evangelize. It's important for us to proclaim this message. I mean, think of what is being changed if even one person, their eternity is changed from following the default setting of following Satan forever and ending up there to eternity in heaven. Even if you gave everything in your life and worked hard for one person to be used through you to be saved, wouldn't that be worth a 100 years of effort God has given this as part of our our mission. And not only to escape hell and to escape that, but the the, the positive side is a million times more glorious than the evil that they're avoiding. To experience joy and being with Jesus Christ, treasuring him forever. In an ever-increasing joy with him. This is a huge mission that God's given us. And it also means that every person here, whether you're an adult, whether you're a kid... We have to ask ourselves, where are we headed? Have you trusted the only one that can save you from a, an eternity in a lake of fire that we all deserve because of our sin. But Jesus Christ has taken that for us on the cross and has risen again. And when he rose, Satan was defeated. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for revealing what you have to us through scripture, that we exist in the middle of a war zone. And that is what this earth is. That is what history is from Genesis chapter 3 until when you return. This, this is, and when you, Satan is put in that lake of fire forever, this is a war zone, Lord God. Let us not live with the false idea that this is a time of peace. Satan rages against this world. He does not want to give up territory. He does not want to give up those he has captured. But thank you that you are king and that through Christians you are creating outposts of your kingdom on this world. And help us to to advance, help us to recapture people from the enemy. Thank you God. Thank you for saving us from pulling us from the fire that we deserve and giving us an eternity with you to look forward to. But let us not rest in that. Let us be active and aware, not only for ourselves and our spiritual well-being, but also for those that are around us. Help us to avoid every temptation of Satan, every scheme, and help us individually and together as a church to bring you glory and to fill the calling that you have for us. And we thank you that you will be proven victorious, Lord God. There was never actually any question about this. And thank you that through Jesus Christ, we can be transferred to the winning side. In his glorious name we praise and we pray, amen.